재미와 지식의 오디오라이프 팝빵 Welcome back. A whole lot of really interesting people pass through Seoul for various reasons, bringing all their talents and their stories with them. And on Thursdays, we take a moment and try to interface those people with you before they leave town. This week, we've got a very interesting visitor by the name of Cameron Sholley. He is the Midwest Region Director for the U.S. National Park Service, and he's here to help Korea's National Park Service celebrate its 30th anniversary and the 50th since the very first Korean National Park. Do I have that right, Cam? That's right, Kurt. And did I get the last name right? Sholley or Sholley? Sholley. Sholley. I stand corrected. Thank you very much. So, you are a a lifelong, almost, uh, Park Service official. I'm a third-generation Park Service official in the U.S. National Park Service. My grandfather was actually a superintendent of national parks back in the 40s and 50s in in America. My father was also in the Park Service, so it runs in the family. Very proud of that. The Park Service in the U.S. has a a special place in Americans' hearts. I know that. And they turn up in funny ways in pop culture and so on. You know, before we came in here, we were chatting, and I'm from Massachusetts, so... I always pictured the National Park Service as being somewhere out there where the Rocky Mountains are and the Grand Canyon is. But you basically informed me that the National Park Service runs stuff in Massachusetts, you know, the National Seashore and monuments all over the country. I mean, tell me a little bit about the the philosophical purpose of the U.S. Park Service. Well, to your point, we have a, an incredible system in the United States. Uh, right now it sits at about 417 units um, traditionally. Uh, you're right. A lot of the perceptions of U.S. national parks have been large kind of land-based parks like Yellowstone National Park, Grand Canyon, Yosemite type of thing. But if you really look at what we do, it's uh, we have a very diverse uh, system that not only protects uh, the very best of America, but also tells America's very best stories from civil war to civil rights. Uh, we've got incredible representations of our country's history and resources in all 50 states and U.S. territories. Yeah, there's many angles. I mean, preserving stories, preserving environment. You, in your uh, capacity as Midwest Region Director, you've got a massive amount of land that you're responsible for. Are you? Would you say you spend most of your day in that position in the operational details of kind of managing those territories, or are you more of a, a salesman or a spokesman for the whole park service idea? It's a little bit of both. It's a great question. Uh, we have, in the Midwest region, 61 units of the national park system, basically from the Colorado line to the Pennsylvania line, Canada down to Arkansas. So it's a, it's a great group of parks. Um, one of the best things about the Midwest and, and the system in general across the country are the great partners uh, that we work with, whether that be members of Congress, whether that's local communities, our tribal partners, our NGOs, a lot of support. You know, parks are looked at through very uh, many different lenses, um, natural resource preservation, um, conservation, economics, education, uh, civic pride, and uh you know, depending on who you're talking to, different people have different viewpoints of parks, and it's a special part of the job on the external side in, in really engaging communities and developing partnerships and collaborating with people on very tough issues. Internally, it's a large operation. I mean, we see in just the Midwest region alone about 25 million visitors a year, and the U.S. National Park System as a whole, well over 300 million last year, which was our centennial year, our 100th anniversary of our 
uh, the establishment of the National Park Service. That was a a major milestone, but uh, our parks are handling over 300 million people from around the world every year, which is a a large operation and uh, takes a lot of coordination and logistics and management, just like any organization of of that size. Do you, do guys like you in the park service ever find that you're kind of playing defense? Um, because there's this, it seems throughout the decades that I've been around, there's this tension between economic players, uh, people who want to develop and drill baby drill and all of that stuff, and people who want to under-resource the park services as well, uh, and uh, people who want to preserve uh, nature. Do you find that you're kind of playing defense in terms of uh, fighting the battle in Washington? I wouldn't look at it as defense, Kurt. I would say more that, you know, we put $32 billion of positive economic spending into local communities uh, in, the, in the country. That's, that's more of a positive economic benefit than all of the Disney, uh, Disneyland parks and Disney World parks in America combined. Um, you know, we do that with a, a staff size of about 20,000 people on a budget of about $3 billion. The national parks are a extremely good investment for every dollar spent in the federal budget returns anywhere from four to ten to local economies so we're very proud of that uh most importantly uh we're protecting america's most treasured assets and telling america's most important stories in perpetuity and so i think finding the balance between uh protecting these resources uh the resources are there for people's enjoyment uh, and finding that balance is uh, one of the most important things that we do by not uh, compromising the integrity of the mission at the same time, uh, working at all levels in state, local government, uh, in communities to find solutions that work irrespective of what lens someone might look through. I want to bring it in just a moment over to Korea, because that's why you're here and you're interfacing these two park services. But uh, let me just learn a little bit more about you personally. I, I presume at some point you were a park ranger, according to the, the stereotype that we know, with the square hat and walking through and keeping the picnic basket away from the bear and all of that stuff, right? I, yes. I, after uh, a tour in U.S. military active duty in the U.S. Army, I started my career actually in Yellowstone, working for maintenance um, moved on to Yosemite as a, a ranger and then uh, various assignments pursuant uh, to that. Uh, we have a lot of different fields in the U.S. National Park Service, uh, sure. whether it be in the science fields or the resource management fields or the maintenance fields or the administrative fields. Uh, we have a, a, an incredible diversity of, of groups working for us to help make the operation run our workforces. Uh, the most important aspect of what we have going for us from a mission achievement standpoint. Um, but a lot of our folks do come up through the ranks like me from early on. And then we've worked very uh, diligently to attract the very best talent that we can, irrespective of where they are in, in, in respective career ladders, either inside or outside of government. Uh, we bring people over, MBAs uh, from the private sector, for instance, to help us manage our finances more effectively. Um, we're looking for constantly for new solutions, new ideas on, on ways we can take our operational standards to higher and higher levels. Uh, and to do that, uh, you know, opening up the door, so to speak, from a recruitment standpoint is essential to our success. I'm glad you're here to remind me of the complexity of the Park Service and the diversity of roles and the fields that you draw from. I find myself hewing to the stereotype of, you know, it's, it's, it's big mountains, big rivers, camping, uh, bears. Have you personally ever encountered a bear? 
I have. I, I've actually encountered. Uh, I've got two pretty good grizzly bear stories. Uh, probably a little too long to tell, talk. Well, give about me, on give here. me the short version of one of them. Short version of one of them. I was on a backcountry detail in Yellowstone National Park in 1991. I was in a uh, so we had a four person crew. This will sound like a joke, but it's not. Bob, Dave, Larry, and Cam. <laughs> okay. Uh, we traded off cooking at night. And it's hard to, you have to visualize a little bit with me here, but uh, Larry and Cam were in a a cabin on the eastern shore of Yellowstone Lake. All right. A small little A-frame cabin, cooking dinner with the door open. It was our turn. (laughs) Mistake number one. I can't remember what what, what, uh, we were cooking, but I'm sure it was was, uh, incredible. Uh, And wafting aromas. Exactly. Went out into the forest. That's true. That's true. Uh, Dave... So picture yourself in a cabin, and, and, and you walk out the door of the cabin, and you, if you were to make an immediate right, uh-huh. about 200 yards is the lake shore. Okay. All right. So Dave goes out the door. Now, Larry and I are in cooking. Dave goes out, makes a right, goes down to the lake shore, and he's fishing. Now, he's fishing right there, so 200 yards away from the cabin. Bob goes with Dave, but Bob decides to walk down the lake shore maybe four or 500 yards and he's fishing there. So they're both fishing on the lake shore. And they're, they're, they're close enough they can see each other. But if they were to yell at each other, they could hear each other, but they couldn't help hear what they were saying. Okay. So Larry and I, so that sets the scene. So Larry and I are cooking dinner, and we hear an enormous ruckus outside. Uh, branches breaking, uh, growling, and we, the doors open, and we obviously look out the door, and these two grizzly bears ran by the front of the door and are now running towards the lake. The lake. So I'm we surprised they didn't run in and, and come after the yeah, food. Yeah, they weren't really paying attention to us. Okay. Uh, they seemed to be more focused on each other. Ah. Um, but anyway, so we peered out the door, and there they are running towards Dave, and Dave's got his back to us. And we start yelling at Dave to warn him these bears are running toward him. Now, they're not charging him necessarily. They just happen to be running toward him. Yeah. He turns around, and here's these two grizzlies uh, running at him, and guess what he does? Freezes? He jumps in dead. the lake. <laughs> There's nowhere to go. Okay. So he jumps into the lake, fishing pole and all, which we had to go back and get later. And uh-huh. he starts swimming out. The bears get to the shoreline. They really don't pay him any attention, and they make a left, and now they're running down the shoreline toward Bob. Oh, God. Now, there's a little bit of a bend in the shoreline, so Bob can uh, – so now Dave is out in the water waving his arms and yelling at the top of his lungs to try to wait to warn Bob. Bob can hear – He's wondering why the other guy's in the lake. Yeah, he thinks he's drowning. Because okay. he can hear him screaming, but he can't hear what he's saying. And there's a slight bend in the shoreline, so he can't see the bears running down the shoreline. Uh-huh. And so he starts running to save Dave in the same direction the bears are coming at him. Ah, wonderful. And he comes around the corner, and as the bears stood on their hind legs, he dropped down to his knees. Uh, I'm, I'm sure assuming he was about to get mauled by the grizzly bears. They dropped, they dropped down and ran around him and kept going. Yeah, they had business of their own. And it took him about an hour to stop hyperventilating. But the uh, <sighs> incredible thing about that was the wildness and the connection. Even though I'd been involved in parks my entire life was seeing that wildness and, and understanding that being part of the park service really protects that type of wildness and perpetuity. Yeah. Very, very important. Bears, less of an issue here in Korea. Um, not too many bear encounters. But you are here um, interfacing and talking to your Korean counterparts. Uh, what kind of stuff are you doing? Is it is it just kind of a big celebration party or are you swapping knowledge or what are you up to? It's 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 all the above. Uh, 
I, I came in late Saturday night, um, had a little bit of a decompression day on Sunday. Mm-hmm. On Monday, went down to Wanju. Is it okay. Wanju? Uh, sure. Where the uh, Korean National Park Service headquarters is. Uh, met with Chairman Park, who is kind of equivalent to our director of our National Park Service. Um, had a very good meeting with him and his executive staff, and then uh, had a session with uh, many of his managers and employees there at, at headquarters, um, really talking about what's possible for the future, uh, sharing some ideas, uh, information, uh, great Q&A session. And then we moved on to uh, visit Otisan uh, and were able to, to um, meet with a lot of the staff there on the ground. It was mm-hmm. great to see a Korean National Park Service operation in action. What kind of stuff do Korean Park Service people want to know from the U.S. Park Service? Well, I think so. Their National Park Service is 30 years old. We just celebrated the 100th anniversary of ours last year, so we have a, a, a little bit more time under our belts in our system in America. Um, you know, similarly, our you know Yellowstone, for instance, was uh, established in 1872, so about 44 years prior to the establishment of our National Park Service. Here in Korea, Jerusalem was established in 1967, yeah. 30 years before the establishment of their National Park Service. And so there's the the gap between the recognition, both in America and in South Korea, that, hey, let's establish some of these parks. And then the understanding that you've got to have a professional group uh, run them and yeah. manage them in a consistent way as a system. And so we talk a lot about some of the... Uh, the lessons learned that we've seen uh, over the last 100 years in the American system. Um, what's in, what's important to understand is is you know we don't have it perfect in America by any way by any means. So the fact that uh, we can sit down and uh, they're doing some incredible things on the technology front. Uh, they've got some great ideas, some great things that are going in their system. In a lot of ways, uh, they to ex- help people navigate the parks and whatnot. Absolutely. Yeah. And so there's an equal amount of reciprocity there from the standpoint of us learning from them as sure. much as they learn from us. I think that's the real value uh, that we look at our systems and manage our systems, not uh, as individual countries, but wherever possible, uh, transcontinental management of our national park system is absolutely important to conservation and protected areas uh, worldwide. Yeah. Where would you say some of the biggest blue ocean thinking is in terms of what the Korean Park Service wants to achieve? What's their most ambitious kind of goals? Well, first of all, I think they've accelerated progress substantially faster at thirty year, at the 30-year mark than we had in America at our 30-year mark. I mean, the fact that they've got 22 national parks already uh, just in the last, well, 50 years since Jerusalem and 30 years since their, their park service uh, is a, a great thing for, from the standpoint of the South Koreans being very proud and privileged of where they put their... Uh, the priorities of, of their national park system in the country and, and, and the aggressiveness in which they've picked out these parks and, and set them aside for, for protection and management. I think one of the, you know, I, I gave a, a, uh, had a great opportunity yesterday uh, at the ambassador's residence to talk to a lot of university students from various schools here in town. And, um, you know, one of the questions I asked was, how many of you have been to a national park in Korea? And pretty much zero, yeah. almost no hands that went up. And so I think from the standpoint, and we we have, um, you know, 1916 when the American system was established or National Park Service was established, about 50% of the American population lived in and around urban areas. And now that number is about 80%. And so to answer your question, uh, uh, 
relevancy is extremely important in engaging next generation and connecting that group of, say, students that I was talking to yesterday to their parks. That's the next group of politicians. It's the next group of philanthropists. It's the next group of visitors and supporters and advocates. And just like we made that a primary goal in in the U.S., uh, continue to work on next-gen engagement, uh, I would say that similarly through technology and other means that the Korean National Park Service, that should be an area that they really try to expand on marketing their parks yeah. and engaging uh you know, the next generation of, of supporters and, and current gener- generations for that matter. I mean, they have a lot of visitation, um, all things considered, but I, I would look to for them to uh, continue building that constituency over time, just like we're trying to do in the U.S. Yeah, and there we get back into your role as sort of spokesman or salesman of the whole idea of a park. Would you say that's the sort of the biggest challenge is you call it next-gen engagement? Um convincing younger generations who've who've basically disappeared into their smartphones hmm. that uh, parks are still relevant and that parks play a holistic part in people's lives i think you, i think you said it perfectly i think um one of the things is the agency's evolving with differing expectations of next generations my son's 15 he's actually in generation z um, is that what they call it yeah okay uh but, you know, I mean, his and a lot of the millennials as well, uh, their expectations uh, when they go to a park or how a park will connect with them is much, much different than what you and I would have expected. Glamping, uh, right? In, in the 80s or 70s yeah. or whenever. Uh, and so for the organizations I, I've seen in the park service, we've lagged. I think we're doing a lot better in the U.S., but I think we've lagged over the last several decades in kind of recognizing that, you know, uh, it's okay if we have Wi-Fi in parks or if we have better uh, cellular connectivity, if it doesn't degrade, uh, you know, our resources or scenic view sheds or things like that. Uh, and that the expectation is going to be for someone to come to a park that they want to be able to get onto Wi-Fi so they can take pictures and upload it to Facebook or to social media. Yeah. That's part of their expectations. And if we're going to be attractive to that next generation of supporters... We've got to evolve our system in such a way that we're responsive to that expectation. So I think, um, you know, that is something that we recognize uh, both in both systems and we'll be pursuing uh, in the future very aggressively. One thing South Korea does really, really well is uh, it leverages the informational side of things really well. Um, So you can pick any two points on the South Korean landmass. And it will tell you the most efficient way to get there and where you turn left and all this stuff. I mean, geolocation and finding out about the stuff along the way. Um, how much of your world is that? Like sort of developing the parks as information product, you know, mm-hmm. what the wildlife is and, you know, helping people, helping enhance people's experience. Well, there, you know, that, that 80% number I use in the U.S. of kind of the pop percentage of the population that are in and around urban areas. I mean, for the first century of our existence in the National Park Service in America, we focus largely on bringing people to parks. And to your question just now, a lot of the focus has got to shift to not only continuing to do that, but also bringing the parks to the people. And you do that through 
a variety of means, but whether that's um, clearly technology is a, a big part of that. And, you know, considering what we have available to us now and what we will have available to us later, I know, um, being ahead of that curve is absolutely essential in, in, uh, in, in, in bringing parks to people more effectively. Yeah. In a nutshell, just on a personal level, would you say U.S. Park Service people and Korean Park Service people are roughly the same kind of people? I mean, like ex-military, kind of outdoorsy. Uh, have you felt sort of a simpatico with, with your mm-hmm. Korean colleagues? You know, I don't think there's any one particular type okay. of person. We have, uh, you know, fantastic um you know, law enforcement rangers or scientists or biologists or MBAs or human resource officials or, uh, you know, we've just got so many aspects and so many dimensions to our operation. I mean, there is no, you know, one particular group that uh, represents the workforce more more than anyone else. And they're all very essential, play very key roles in what we do and our successes. And from what I've seen of the Korean National Park Service, is, that's, the, that's the same thing. Yeah, yeah. I keep hewing to these stereotypes, and yeah. I really shouldn't. So it's a very diverse service. Um, are you going to get to see more of the Korean countryside while you're over here on your trip? Uh, we're going to do an event tonight, uh, and we're going to go to Bukasan tomorrow. Oh, cool. Um, we've got a, um opening ceremony coming up and a closing ceremony coming up for the actually 3050 anniversary celebrations. Looking forward to being involved with that. Uh, we are going to sign a friendship agreement with uh, with the country on on Saturday. That'll be uh, tremendous, and I'm going to really look forward to engaging uh, more and more with the senior Korean officials on how we can continue to expand uh, our cooperation and collaboration uh, intercontinentally. Yeah, Bukhansan is probably the uh, the go to national park mm-hmm. here in Korea for so many people living in Seoul. It's right on our doorstep, so uh, it's a great example of the Korean Park Service in action. Cameron Shully is the Midwest Region Director for the U.S. National Park Service, and he's here in town to help celebrate the 30th anniversary of Korea's National Park Service. Cam, it's been a real pleasure to talk to you today. Thank you very much for coming in. Appreciate you having me. Thank you.